You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Man, good morning, Highland. It is good to see you. Welcome to the 10 o'clock service. Gosh. Uh, my name is Mazulinski. I'm the executive director at Vertical Ministries here on campus at Baylor University. And uh, man, I just want to start truly by uh, honoring this place and honoring your pastor. Um, John Durham is the most faithful teacher of God's word that I know. I, I would come here, I'd visit Highland when I was in college, and John Durham just gives you Bible. Like, that is just the type of teacher he is, and I loved it, and I respected him so much for that. He truly is a 2 Timothy chapter 2, 15 guy, and we need more men in the pulpit like that who rightly divide God's word. So I'm so grateful for John's example, and then I truly am so grateful for this local expression of God's body, his church, Highland. You guys are such an encouragement to me. You guys are such an encouragement to Vertical. Vertical uh, exists truly because of the ways that this body invests in Vertical. Whether that's just letting us use your spaces or giving us talented musicians to help lead on a Monday night, like you guys are on our team and in our corner. And I'm just so grateful. Many of the Highland staff members are my friends. And uh, I remember that uh, just a couple months ago, a couple weeks ago, I got to go to an Astros-Yankees game with three members of staff here at Highland. I'm a Yankees fan. I'm from Connecticut. Don't hold it against me. Uh, But I got to go with three Astros fans to one of the baseball games. So we drive down to Houston and uh, it just did not go well for the Astros. Absolutely obliterated them, destroyed them. And... um, it was getting kind of later in the game, so seventh, eighth, ninth inning, and like you just looked to the aisles and people were flooding out of that stadium. Like they were just leaving. The game was over, uh, but credit to those three Highland staff members. They stuck around for the whole thing. They're true fans. Like they are true fans of the Houston Astros, win, loss, or draw. And the reason I tell you that story, the reason I start there this morning is because you guys have been in a series talking about the Sermon on the Mount. You've been in Hillside Radical. And this morning, we're going to finish the Sermon on the Mount. The game is coming to an end. The sermon is coming to an end. And Jesus right now is going to figure out who are the fans and who are the true followers. That that is what this entire sermon Chapter five, six, and seven in the gospel of Matthew have been building toward that he's ushering in a kingdom and he's trying to see who's gonna be his kingdom builders, right? See, it was a gathering much like this one. It was an event. There were a lot of people and it wasn't just in a, it just wasn't a lesson. It wasn't just something that you're going to sit and be attentive to. Jesus is calling you to full devotion, And in the same way that that game was wrapping up and you see some people leave and some people stay, I wonder if Jesus, as he's finishing his last few messages at the Sermon on the Mount, are they gonna leave or are they gonna stay? 
So this morning, as we look at Matthew chapter seven, we're gonna be looking at three points this morning. We're gonna be looking at three marks of a true disciple. Three marks of a true disciple. Number one is gonna be that true disciples are marked by character. We're gonna see that in verses 15 to 20. Secondly, we're gonna see that true disciples are marked by repentance. We're gonna see that in verses 21 to 23. And then third, we'll see that true disciples are marked by their foundation in verses 24 to 27. So that's where we're going this morning, Highland. If you have a copy of scripture, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter seven, verses 15. It'll also be up on the screens for you. Point number one, true disciples are marked by character. Matthew seven, verse 15 says this. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Highland, Jesus ends that first section and it almost presents it, he almost leaves it presenting us with a question, do you bear good fruit? Yes or no? Do we bear good fruit in our life? You kind of read that section and you're left with the question, man, do I bear good fruit? Am I currently bearing good fruit? Am I a tree that is producing good fruit? You see, Jesus is gonna make two distinctions right here. He's gonna say that a true disciple bears good fruit. That's the first one. He's gonna say that a true disciple bears good fruit. And we just know that to be true, Highland, that the more we belong to Christ, the more we look like Christ. That the longer we faithfully follow him, in devotion and discipleship, the more we're gonna begin to look like him. So Jesus is gonna make that first distinction. He's gonna say that true disciples bear good fruit, but then he's also gonna say true disciples recognize good fruit. Remember that this passage is about false prophets. He's talking about wolves. So he's saying that true disciples can distinguish between good fruit and bad fruit. Helen, you don't know me. You've never heard me teach. You don't know anything about me, but you know God's word. You know his heart and his character. So test everything. Everything that I say or anyone you hear on a stage or with a mic, test everything up against God's word. Because true disciples can recognize good fruit. They can tell the difference between a healthy tree and a diseased tree. So then it's just kind of asking us the question. We read this and we're like, well, how do we decide what is good fruit and what is bad fruit? Jesus, like, can you help us out? Because I don't know about you. My wife asked me to go to the, to go to the grocery store and get avocados. And that is the most difficult task I have to do the entire week. It is so hard to know if it's too ripe or not ripe enough and then I can't eat it for a week and then I forget about it and then it goes bad and then I'm like, dang it. Now I gotta go back to the grocery store and get more avocados. 
It's the same thing. It's like, man, how do you discern what is good fruit? Well, I think Jesus is gonna tell us right here that fruit is character, it's not works. So this is how we decide, how we determine what is good fruit. It's we look at character, not works. Because look back at verse 15, it says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly. You can underline that part if that's helpful or circle it or square, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You see, these prophets, they might say good things. They might say things that align with scripture, but inwardly they are deceptive and their motives are wrong. But they have selfish intent. You want to know if someone's a false prophet or a ravenous wolf, if someone just comes up here to teach and get off a stage and go walk back there to the green room and doesn't come down here in the pew to be and pastor the sheep, man, that might be a a ravenous wolf because their heart and their motive isn't right. But we know, church, we know, Highland, what good fruit is because we know the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 tells us explicitly, it lines us out for us, this outlines it out for us. This is what we need to be looking for. This is the character that we need to see. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the character that we should be looking for and asking for the Lord to bear bear up in us. And then John 13, 35, if you know this one, it says, by this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus is already telling us, hey, if you want to be truly my disciple, you have to have a heart to care for people. You have to have a heart of character. You have to have a heart that will be moved to serve others. You see, the product of our relationship with Christ is that you love, live, and look more like him. That it's not that we just talk a big game or talk about doing things that Christ would do, but it's that we actually would do it, that we're moved to the things that Christ would do. So a mark of true discipleship is having Christ-like character, not just being a good person, not just not doing bad things, but having a true Christ-like character to bear fruit that would resemble Christ to resemble him in all that we do. Point number two, true disciples are marked by repentance. True disciples are marked by repentance. Matthew chapter seven, verse 21 to 23 continues. And, he, and Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, Jesus in this section of scripture is moving from false prophets to false followers. 
He's moving from false prophets to false followers, people who declare, look what I did for you, Jesus. I did not prophesy in your name. Didn't I do mighty works? Look at all that I did for you. Look at all the ways that I served at Highland. Look at all the ways that I served you, Jesus. Look what I did. Highland, a true disciple doesn't profess what they did but they profess what he's done. That is a mark of a true disciple, is not to just talk about what we've done, but to declare the excellencies and magnificence of Christ's work. You see, this truly is like the scariest thought in all of scripture to me, is that we could have works, but we could never truly believe in him that we could do things for him and he could declare, I never knew you. An oral profession does not indicate a true heart. Just saying that, hey, I love you, Jesus. I'm yours, Jesus. Take everything, Jesus. Just saying that doesn't mean that that is the true nature and respect of my heart. Second Chronicles 25.2 just says, the king did all that was right in the eyes of the Lord yet not with a whole heart. Man, I read that and I stopped. And I was like, you're kidding me. I can do everything that you require of me. I can do everything that you ask of me, Jesus, and my heart not be in it. My heart not be transformed by it. My heart not be moved by it that my affections for you wouldn't be stirred and yet I'm doing the things you're telling me to do? Whoa. You see, this is my story, Highland, is that in high school, I just wanted to have a reputation of being the godly person or the good guy. I just wanted to do everything to keep myself in that position so that people could perceive me in that way of being good enough, that that's a good guy, that's a godly guy, and that's all I wanted. I wasn't doing those things to draw closer to Jesus. I wasn't doing those things to be moved by him. I wasn't doing those things to have my life radically transformed by my Savior. I was doing those things to impress people. And I don't know about you, Highland, but I can use God's things for my own glory. It's my ditch, it's my temptation to go through all of these motions for something other than Christ, for something other than falling more in love with him. And you know what? I might've fooled some of the people around me, but I didn't fool him. I might have had some other people in my classrooms and on my sports teams believing what I was telling them, but I never once fooled him for a second because God sees right through us. He knows the true intentions and motivations of our heart. So the marker of true discipleship isn't in professing what I've done, but professing what he has done. You see, the marker is repentance. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, because if you confess with your mouth and 
believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. It's confess and believe. It's confess with my mouth and believe in my heart. Evidence of a true disciple is not in the profession of my works accomplished, but in the confession of my shortcomings. Evidence of a true disciple is not professing what I've accomplished, what I've done in Christ, but what Christ has done in me. And now I just get to bring him my shortcomings, that I just get to come to him and confess sin because there is grace that washes me clean. That it's, I don't wanna just strive to do good things for Jesus. It's that I know that when I fall and I mess up, there's a good God who's gonna love me and, and forgive me. So I run quickly to forgiveness and to grace. You see, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 talks about, hey, in our weakness, we're made strong. That he might get the glory. It actually says, for the sake of Christ, for the sake of Christ, we boast about our weakness. And I was thinking about that passage and I was like, you know what? I usually don't boast in my weakness because it's for the sake of miles. Right, track with me, Highland. Like, for the sake of Miles, I'm not gonna boast about my weakness because I want Miles to be perceived a certain way. I've got a reputation and I've got a name, but you know what happens when I do that? I build my own kingdom. I serve myself, I'm not serving Christ. He is not magnified for, he is not magnified. It is not for Christ. It is not for the sake of Christ that I hide and conceal and stay away from the light. But it is for the sake of Christ when I confess and repent from my old way of life and from my flesh. Why? Because his grace is made big. Because it shows, look what God has done to save a sinner, a lost person like this. Look what he's doing through someone like that, whose old way of life was a people pleaser, a liar and a deceiver. You see, only Christ can make lovers of self servants of others. And it's a mark of a true disciple is the, is the mark of a heart of repentance, a heart of confession, to live in the grace that God has given us. And then he says that this is how you will enter into the kingdom of heaven. The one who does the will of my father. Right, all the achievers in the room, we wanna be like, okay, what do I need to do? Like, where do you want me to go? Like, send me, like, what do you want me to do? But Matthew four seventeen says this, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Mark 1.15 says, repent and believe in the gospel. That is the will of the Father. That is the will of your Father who is in heaven, that sinners would be re reunited to a holy and perfect and just God, that sinners' sin would be forgiven by the grace and blood of Jesus Christ, that we would repent and believe in Jesus, in his power that he performed on the cross. Point Number three, true disciples are marked by their foundation. True disciples are marked by their foundation. 
Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27 says this, everyone then who hears these words of mine, what are all of these words that he's talking about? The entire Sermon on the Mount. Chapters five, six, and seven. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. See, Jesus has been looking a lot at the heart because God wants our hearts more than our works or our deeds or actions. But now he's gonna turn his focus to our foundation. And Jesus is talking about two different people. He's talking about the wise person. He's talking about the foolish person. And his descripting, or in his description of the foolish person, he says that this foolish person built his house on the sand. And many of you have probably been to a nice beach, probably not because we live in Texas, but I'm assuming you might have been to a beach at least once. And you know sand doesn't, seem like a great place to build a house. Like all of us in the room are like, that is a foolish thing to do. But as I was reading some commentaries, it was just saying that there are seasons in Israel where sand appears hard. There are seasons where sand appears solid like a firm foundation. And I was thinking about that. And I was reflecting on the seasons in my life where I've believed that sand is a firm foundation. I was reflecting on seasons in my life where I was tempted to believe that finances and money and wealth would be more of a sure foundation than Christ that that somehow would give me more security or protection than my heavenly father. Psalm 4, 7 just says, you have put more joy in my heart than when their grain and wine abound. I was reflecting on different seasons in my life when I thought fame or popularity or success would be a firm foundation that in those seasons, that sand appeared to be firm. And every single one of us in here, Highland, is tempted to believe that some type of sand in this world is a good foundation. Every single one of us are tempted to believe that we can build our life on something outside of Christ. Highland, do not buy the lie that anything outside of Christ can fulfill you, satisfy you, affirm you, or validate you. You can't find it anywhere outside of Christ. You see, those other foundations, they might bring you comfort. They might bring you joy for a season. But only Christ can provide satisfaction for an eternity. Only Christ can provide satisfaction, hope, joy, peace, and love for eternity. 
whatever foundation you choose to build your life on will fail. The rain's coming, the wind's coming, and it will fall. The only foundation that will never fail you is Christ. I had a friend in uh, elementary school who his house was built on like different town lines. Like his, in one side of his house, he could be in Milford. And then in the other side of his house, he was in Bridgeport. And I was like, that is so cool. Like that is crazy. And remember the point of the Sermon on the Mount Highland. Remember that Jesus is ushering in a new kingdom, that he is ushering in a people who will be kingdom builders with him, that he is inviting people to stake their life on him, to turn everything upside down, to not live in the way that the world is living, to look a little weird, to act a little different, to build their life on him and to trust what he's saying. And let's remember who Jesus was. He was a carpenter. So it's probably easy to think that he had built a house or two. So he knows what he's talking about. When he's using this example about a wise person building on rock or a foolish person building on sand, he knows what he's talking about. And he knows what he's talking about in Matthew 5, in Matthew 6, in Matthew 7. He is the one we should trust. Our entire house should be built on his foundation. He's pleading with us, Highland, to build on him, to trust him, to stake our life upon him. That no room would not be missing. That every single room of my house would be built upon him. That I wouldn't be in this town and on that town. That I wouldn't be one foot in him and one foot in the world. That everything I'm doing in my life is built upon him because I can trust him. And that when the wind comes and the rain comes, he will not fail me. In summary, we looked at three things that mark true disciples. A true disciple is marked by their character. A true disciple is marked by repentance. And a true disciple is marked by their foundation. I want to look at two more verses before we wrap up Highland. It's Matthew 7, 28 and 29. Jesus concludes his teaching And this is what happens. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teachings. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Helen, they were astonished by what this man had to say. They were astonished at his teachings and man, could he teach? That guy could preach. And yet more so than what he had to say, they were in awe of his authority. 
Highland, have you been in awe of Jesus this morning? Highland, have you been in awe of your King this morning? Have you been in awe of the one who has authority? The one whose name is above every name. Have you felt yourself just be moved by the fact that we're in the presence of God? Have we longed and desired to know more of him this morning? You see, there is only one authority on heaven and on earth that can forgive sins. There is only one authority there is only one name who can make sinners clean. The only thing that will save you from the wind and the storms and a fall is Jesus. He alone has the authority. Let's pray. Father, we just pray for hearts. Hearts that would break before you. Hearts that would burn for you. Hearts that would desire you. Hearts that would long for you. Father, create in us a clean heart. Father, open up our hearts this morning to you. Would we just be reminded of what you've done for us and to us? on our behalf, on that cross, would that never become dull to us? Would that not be normal? Would the miracle of salvation and the forgiveness of sins always move us into deeper relationship with you? Father, we pray. Father, we just declare one last time this morning that you are true satisfaction and joy. There's nothing better than you and no one beyond you. Amen. Helen, you can stand. We're gonna have a time to respond in song. And as always, these pews up here are gonna be open. So if you need prayer or want to pray, right here up in front, in front of me and to my right and to my left, they're open. And, and guys, I got emotional at the 840 just because there was a, a dad who was just praying with his two sons. And I was looking at that and I became a believer here in Waco at Baylor University as a freshman. And I didn't have that example of faith in my house. And I was just looking at that and was so grateful for the faithful men and women that you guys are. So grateful for your example. 
but coming up here is maybe not just for you. It's maybe for your kids or someone that you're with this morning. So I'd love to invite you to come up and respond however you would. But there will be people here stationed to my left, to my right, and in front of me that would love to pray with you.